This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, the wisdom of Doc Martin. If I had a billion pounds, uh, once I got back from the space station for my trip, infrastructure, infrastructure and information, talk to each other, explain what's happening, what's going on, and plan it. Explaining them what a good career it is, the benefits of what we are doing, the benefits of the changes that we are trying to put in place. Hello and welcome to the first Snug Podcast of 2022. I'm Andrew McElhinney, a GP in NHS Fourth Valley, and I'm a member of the Scottish National Users Group for GPIT. And every month, we discuss various aspects of how technology is used to support healthcare and general practice in Scotland. You can email Alex DeFranco with any comments using the email address in the episode notes. And you can catch up on our previous episodes on Apple, Google or Spotify podcasts. Although we are seriously considering whether we should be on the same platform as someone who peddles misinformation about vaccines. Mr Neil Young, we salute you. Today, we've got a conversation with Dr. Bill Martin. Now, Bill is a former co-chair of SNUG and has recently moved on after a long spell in general practice. And he's been there really during the whole process of computerisation of general practice, really to the extent that we're now completely dependent on our IT systems. I wanted to ask him about how and in what ways he's seen general practice change over the past 30 years, what he misses about it, and would he still recommend it as a career? Whether the changes that have happened during the pandemic will stick, how can we all cope with GPIT reprovisioning, and if he had a billion pounds to transform GPIT, what would he spend it on? We also got on to debating whether he might want to consider running for Prime Minister, and, of course, whether Scotland might beat Ireland at rugby. Morning, Bill. I hope life is treating you well. It is. It is, thanks. Yeah, did well. And you're okay to summarise the history of general practice for us, are you? Uh, yes. I'm not that old. I won't do all of general practice, but what I can remember, Andrew, yeah. Because I, I remember, I probably have you to thank for the fact that I'm here in Scotland now at the moment working away happily, because many years ago, when I came over for what I thought was going to be a 12-month hospital job uh, in Scotland, uh, I met up with you in Air County Hospital. In the days when we'd have been doing sort of like a 72-hour on-call shift, Mm-hmm. You tell the young people that today and, you know, they won't believe you. But but you effectively made the case for signing up for general practice training in Scotland. And, and lo and behold, 35 years later, you know, here we are. I don't know whether to apologise or not, Andrew, but <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it got me thinking. I mean, if you'd known then how general practice was going to develop and, and what it would look like, you know, at this stage, would you still have been so positive about it then? Yes. Yes, I, I, I have enjoyed my time in general practice. It's interesting. I'm vaccinating now as a volunteer. I meet lots of patients and folk, uh, my colleagues there ask me, do you miss it? And I do miss it. I miss my patients. So I miss their patients, not my patients. They're very patronising. I, I miss my colleagues. I miss the contact. I don't miss 
all of the hassle and the paperwork and, and some of the stress level. But no, I would I would still I would recommend general practice to any junior doctor that's thinking what they want to do for their career. Great, so would I. And I mean, it is fair to say you've been around GP and GPIT for a long time. You've got loads of experience. So, so thinking back, I mean, both of us probably remember what it was like when you started off writing illegible notes onto A4, handwriting prescriptions, getting referral letters typed up. So, so over that time, over the 20 years, we've had Sky Gateway, Sky Store, we've moved from GPASS, Demus and Vision, used Docman, Ordercoms. I mean, these are all now critical systems that we use just every day without thinking, but they're all now falling over and needing replaced. How, how can we do that without massive disruption and pain? I mean, I'd just be interested to see what you think about the best way to replace all these systems. Right. Uh, I, I think planning. Planning is, is absolutely essential at so many levels, at health board level, at practice level, at, at locality level for any support that they can put in. I'll go back to what you said. Um, yes, I do remember sitting down and doing handwritten prescriptions and writing in the notes. But the one thing that I miss was I sat down with my partners, sat down with the receptionists, and you actually get time to talk and see where things are going in the practice and find out about their kids and their holidays. I think that is missing from general practice just now. Unless you actually made an effort, I could go a day or two without meeting some of my partners because, as you say, everything is on that screen in front of you and you're stuck at your desk. Uh, what's, what's a coffee room? What's lunch? Uh, lunch is spent uh, dealing with blood results and document letters and insurance reports. So talk to each other, explain what's happening, what's going on and plan it. How are we going to do this? We're going to be doing the changeover then, right? Who's in the holiday? How do we do training? How do we speak? Who do we need to let know what's happening? Do we need to let the pharmacists know so that the prescriptions don't get asked for in those days, asked for in the days before it and the days after? Sit down and plan what we're going to do with blood results, uh, what we're going to do with document letters. The other thing is that things have moved on and it's different from 10 years or so ago when we did the, the GPAS division of uh, transition. We've got other folk in the practice now. We've got pharmacists that are there. And what, what's their role in all of this? And also, does it need to be the same? One of the big things that, that we struggled with last time was re-entering information. They have to type it all out again. You have to record the prescriptions that were done. There's a bit of paper and scan it into document. But it's an IT system. Can you do a timestamp? If we were migrating, if our tape was going away tomorrow, at midnight tonight, can we get something that says, here's everything that's been entered from the 27th to whatever day you start, and then dump it into the new system? It must be possible. It's an IT system. If they can copy a prescription from a legacy to a new from that date, they can copy it from this date. So I think we need to step back a bit and say, what actually do we have to do? I guess there's um, always been this concept of the general practice record from cradle to grave as being the place where all the information stays. Somebody yeah. said that to me last week and um, it made me think, well, that's maybe not 
the direction of travel for the future, you know, we're looking at maybe a centralised immunisations record yeah. now. And there's a, been talk for long enough, as you know, about a central medication record, you know, a single medication record. And I do wonder if we will move towards an era where the GP record is is not the main one, but, but yeah. you know, there will be a centralised data store. I mean, that sounds like it's the... The, the desire for, for, for the, the way things are going to go. Do, do you think that's that's better? And some of the things have said yes, because with vaccinations getting done, COVID vaccinations getting done in a Turas system and then up to a system and then imported into general practice. I remember the old days when health visitors gave kids uh, their vaccinations, had to put in their system and up the national system and also had to get rekeyed into the, the GP systems. I think that's still a situation now. I think practices are still getting downloads with all the, the childhood immunisations. Does it need to be in our record? It'd be nice if it could get imported into our record so that we can see, oh, we need to look at this one because they haven't had that vaccine. I think we need to be able to see it. But should there be a central store where every vaccination is recorded in Scotland? Yes, I think that's a very good idea as well, especially for heading to casualty cuts, tetanus status and all these kind of things. So you, you've mentioned one of the big differences in general practice, the, the, the fact that with all the computer systems where it's stuck in front of screens a lot of the time and that can disconnect us from, from other people. Yeah. What other sorts of, apart from IT, you know, what other big differences do you see in general practice now? You, you've mentioned the wide, wider practice teams, which is obviously a big thing that's unfolding. Do you, do you see many other changes in general practice now from, say, 20, 30 years ago? Um, we're certainly an awful lot busier. Uh, the, the, the complexity is going up. The, we had a couple of really great uh, ANPs in the practice, but I found it harder. Uh, the surgery's got harder because it used to be quite nice to get the sore throat or the, the person that's just in for their insurance line they give you time to catch up and draw your breath or, or maybe even go and get a coffee. But as the, the complexity has gone up, the, the, there's more, uh, there's multimorbidity. You're having to think about more things and you're not getting so many of the, the easy cases that only take a few minutes. Yeah, and, and I guess even during the pandemic, you know, the last couple of years, we've seen massive amount of changes. You know, we were thinking about this in yeah. the last, last chat we had about maybe there being as much change in the last 18 months as there had been in the last 18 years to some extent. Um, you know, we've got way more telephone consultations now. Yeah. We've got DACs coming in, people use email, digital images, and there is actually a serious push towards e-prescribing. So, so just trying to use the systems better in general. But I mean, I wonder which of these do you think is going to stick permanently or, or, or might we end up going back to where we were before the pandemic? I think they're all going to stick, Andrew. I think they're all going to continue. It'll be interesting to, to see. Every practice is different. Every every clinician is different and how they work with things, how comfortable they, they are working with DAX or, or telephone rather than get patients in in front of them at their the twitch level. I, I can see a case where in many places it will go, it will reduce but I don't see in lots of places it going back to what it was pre-pandemic. I think these systems are here to stay. I think many patients prefer them because it allows them to plan better. I don't need to leave my work to drive half an hour to come to the subway to do something that could be done over the phone or over a, over a video consultation. 
that they're, they're here, they're not going away, but will we continue to use them at the same level and intensity that we're using them just now? In many places, I'm not sure. No, I, I saw the news last night and the, the, the implication was almost that the government wants face-to-face appointments to be opened up again as soon as possible with the sort of implication that it would be going back to the way it was. And I, I don't see that, that happening. Yeah, I read the, the article. It was a really good article on the BBC uh, News website uh, yesterday, Thursday night, 25th of January, for those that are not Scottish and <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, there was some really, it was a really good article. We are different. It's, yeah, the, the expectation is that uh, businesses are going back to normal. But practices are seeing patients that are vulnerable. They're seeing patients that have, have, have been shielding. So practices have to be more careful than many other businesses. All the respiratory questions that practices are having to ask. So what do you want to have in the in the waiting room? Do you want to have somebody that's shielding with a kidney transplant or was shielding because of a kidney transplant and then people coughing and spluttering one row behind them? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy to say I don't usually read the Sunday Post, uh, you know, but but the the Jings, Kevin's, <laughs> but but there's been this big bandwagon, practically, you know, to 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 get get GPs back to normal and seeing people, and I, I do think I do think we'll have to retain some of the telephone consultations because again, like you say, it's handier for a lot of people, and and the the DAC systems. I mean, we're we're using it and. I think it's a great opportunity for people to to get help with the problem without having to hang on the phone and be told to phone back, you know, and, and try and get an appointment for next week or whatever. But anyway, um, we'll see. It's all um, <laughs> all a, a period of, of, of change. I mean, you, you, I'm just interested, you were probably the chair of SNUG when the systems were, were reprovisioned and, and, and changed over last time, as we said, from GPAS to, to, to Vision and EMIS. Uh, and and given given the landscape that we have at the moment is so unique, if you like, and I know it's maybe difficult to compare what it was like then, but have you got any sort of good advice for GPs and practice managers for dealing, say, with the reprovisioning, just getting that new practice system implemented this time round? I think I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier on, Andrew. It's, it's planning. It's talking in the practice. It's also talking to colleagues, uh, other practice managers, other GPs at meetings, uh, talking to your facilitators, talking to, to folk at the board. I, I remember what we were like in the practice when, when we were migrating from GPAS to Vision. Everyone was, was really quite scared. How, how am I going to cope with this? It's a new system. How am I going to deal with this with, a, with the patients in front of me for the first time? What are we going to have to do? How much, how much work is it? Will everything transfer across? We're in a different place now. We've done it once. The suppliers are more used to doing it as well. They've got all the different algorithms and, and things. And everyone's committed to try and make this as pain-free or pain-less as possible. They learn lessons every time you do a migration. And if there's been an issue in a practice, then, right, OK, let's see how we can change things and make sure that that issue doesn't happen in the, in the other practices to come. Because I think younger GPs, uh, sounding like a dinosaur, um, they, they, they have a, a different mentality, I think, than what there used to be. There's a, a much more of a work-life balance yeah. thing, which is good. It's good for their families. Um, Absolutely. I think it's a different attitude to IT maybe from what there used to be. I and mean, I, I look at regional, say, IT-related meetings, maybe snug meetings, and they attract practice managers, but precious few GPs. And yeah. although we're much more dependent on digital systems now really than we ever were, 
there actually, I think, seem to be fewer GPs now who are actively interested in maybe innovating or, or getting involved in system design. Yeah. People just let it all happen. Did you see that happening as well? Yes. I also think things are different from the, the days when we started off, Andrew, because, all right, with Mike Henry and Peter Fee who were able to, to do all these things. But some people got involved due to either an interest or, or some frustration. They were constantly on to the health board or on to the supplier saying, look, I need it to do this and it doesn't. And I want it to do that. Now, you might not like the way things work. It might be a bit clunky. You might need to log on to other systems, but they work. I've got an iPhone. I have no idea how it works, but I've got these apps on, and I know that if I switch it on, and I haven't got one recognised in my face, I'm not that, I'm not that hip. I put my thumb on it, and I press a button. I can get into my banking. I can get, I can do a holiday. It just, it's easy. It works. So, I'm not sure the level of frustration uh, is there that we had, that, that we got interested or just or just became such nuisances that they decided to get us uh, inside uh, helping rather than shouting and throwing bricks from the outside. So, all, yes, much of that innovation was, was really driven by frustration, you know, which is interesting. Yeah. And, and actually now... There's not the same need for that. Yeah, the likes of Mike and Peter and I suppose Jim Campbell as well. I mean, they would probably yeah. have developed new applications over the weekend and and, and, and started yes. them. I mean, it, it's interesting. It did make me think, I don't know if you were at the meeting, uh, one of the GPAS user group meetings, and it was near the end of whenever I was chairing it. And uh, there was a serious suggestion made to make it open source. Yeah. And actually, it made me think if that had happened, what kind of world we'd be in today? You know, if, if it would have actually been viable as a, as a system for the future and if GPs had the opportunity to develop their own solutions. But then it does yeah. make me think it would be very it would be very messy. You wouldn't have the same version of the system here as you do there. Yeah, I, I, there's pros and cons I, to that, actually, isn't there? Absolutely. There are a couple of things from, from that, Andrew. Uh, number one is the, the regulation changes, the, the medicines as a device rules and the, the hoops, and they're quite proper, correctly, that, that those things are there. But also, it's one of the big drivers, certainly local, is to try and get everyone on the one system. So the facilitators know exactly if this happens, this is how this is what you do, this is what you show folk how to do. The IT help desk knows how to fix the things. But if it's bad enough as you've got practices in three different systems and one health board there trying to remember how do you fix that and how does it work with that one? But if you've got a multitude of different things or, or different ways to do things, if I'm, I'm using open source as an example of that, I'm not getting it open source. How do you train? How do you fix that? That becomes more of an issue. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I, I'm not in a position to do this, but I was just going to ask you if if I if I had a billion pounds and I I was able to give it to you uh, tomorrow, which I'd love to be able to do. You've said you, you you've said about the importance of planning, and that's fine. But if you had a load of money to throw at GPIT in Scotland to try and make it as good as it could be in the next five years, where would you start? I'm a bit. I was. I'm a bit upset with your second bit, Andrew. I thought that you were giving me a billion pounds. I thought, oh yes, your beauty. Right, so what I would do is, if, if I had a billion pounds, uh, once I got back from the space station for my trip, right? <laughs> infrastructure, infrastructure and information. I would like to make sure it is great that the government have got the 
at the minimum spec for desktop. I think that's exactly the right way to do. I would ensure that every practice has got the line speed that they require to, to do uh, everything in a, in a hosted server, plus DAX, video consultations, email, and everything that, that, that needs to happen with it. How much would it cost to get uh, 4G, 5G to every site? Uh, for business continuity, what happens if a digger goes, if, if you've got a hosted service and a digger goes through your phone cable, uh, how do you consult, how do you access the patient records? Uh, that would also cover house calls, going to nursing homes and all this kind of stuff. But the other thing I think you need to think about is health inequalities and information because it's fine, yeah, it's great to do DAX, it's great, it's great to do near me, but what about the patient that hasn't got access to the internet, how do they do it? How can they book an appointment online or request a prescription? How do they do a video consultation when they can't actually do a video consultation? I know the schools, there was a big drive to try and get tablets out for every every pupil or, or every family. So with the billion pounds that I had, how much would it cost to get that kind of thing for any patient that required it as well? Also, making it my mother simple, tablet. This is how you switch it on. That's how you get the BBC iPlayer. That's how you get WhatsApp to talk to your grandkids. That's how you access the practice website. That's how you press a button to get to NHS Inform. So you're getting the correct information rather than getting information about about things from Facebook. I'll, I'll use the vaccinations as an example. Yeah. What's the, the, the information strategy going forward? Would you spend any of that money on a spin doctor to give general practice a better profile? I mean, to more or less do what you did with me years ago in selling it and, and actually emphasising the positives of it, attracting the best people to come and join us and also giving it a good media profile for, for patients. It's a shame that we have to use the term spin doctor and the connotations that, that, that come with that. But Maybe the wrong word. Yeah, Maybe the wrong yeah, word. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sorry, the, some of the comments that patients are making when I speak to them uh, at the, at the centres, uh, I know how hard every practice is, is working. I know the pressure that every practice is under. Yes, in, encouraging the junior the junior doctors, uh, explaining to them what a good career it is, the benefits that you get out from it, the the, the feeling that, that you're helping not just the patient but the families and, and the carers and all the people around about it, the work life balance, the other opportunities that it that it can give you. Do you want to have a career profile? Do you want to be in a practice for six sessions and have an interest in dermatology, respiratory, please, IT, if you're if you're interested. The admin side of it, all these other opportunities are available. But yes, definitely explain to the patients how hard practices are working, the benefits of what we are doing, the benefits of the changes that we are, are trying to trying to put in place. It comes back to uh, one of the things it's it's information information to your colleagues and information to to patients as well and yeah no, that's great okay well that's all brilliant stuff bill uh, i want to get on to some some more even more important stuff now um i, I suppose i'd be interested to know what, what what is life after general practice going to look like for you 
Difficult. I, I retired uh, when I, I hit 60. I know I don't look at it. I look, well, I'm supposed to look older. Certainly not. But, but that was during the, the Christmas lockdown in 2020. I think I'm lucky. I think I've, I've got the, the health role. I'm doing two sessions a week doing that. I volunteered to be a vaccinator, but I'm now a band five, as I, as I said earlier on, because you'd see Norris cover, so I'm doing that three days a week. And it's allowed me to phase down. And I think what will happen is that, that, that these roles will gradually go down. I don't think they'll go at the same time because I've got to be provisioned and all the other things that, that I'm helping uh, out with uh, locally. Have hobbies, have interests, make sure you've got other things to, uh, to fill your time. Think about, I've got friends that before the pandemic went to the adult learning courses at local universities and learned about the, the Vikings in Britain and or the, the French Revolution. No exams, no, uh, no pressure. Uh, the Viking one was at the level of when, it, when each, each one finished. Now, if you want to go and see that, it's down near Largs. There was a really good pub there that does a, a great bar lunch. I used to go back being a student. We, we did a, a visit to Lindisfarne um, at yeah. the end of last year, and that was all, you know, loads of fascinating history and things to learn there. But I, I actually heard a bit about the Vikings there as well, obviously. Uh, but it was, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, loads of new stuff to learn. That, that's really important, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. And um, I mean, I hear, I mean, there may even be a job as prime minister going soon. So, you know, uh, <laughs> if, if you're looking for something to do, I think you'd be a massive improvement. Uh, well, I've, I've, I've brought wine to places and lots of containers, but I actually have brought it back in suitcases. I remember coming back to, from France with, with with lots of bottles and suitcases to uh, pack between clothes to stop things thinking. So, uh, <laughs> Maybe I'm the right person for the job. <laughs> You'll have my vote. You'll have my vote. So, so okay, talking about France, might you make it to France in 2023 for uh, the, the Pool of Death? Aye, well, uh-huh. that's interesting. I looked into it, but the, uh, I thought general practice was complicated, but then I saw the, the ticket structure and all the things and the, the, the games and uh, over a month in four different places, and I went, now nah, I'll just... <laughs> Watch it on the telly. I'm watching the telly and I'll continue seeing patients. Yeah, I, I hope to get to at least some of the, some of the games next year. I owe my... Well, my family, a, a trip to Paris, Andrew, because it was our 35th wedding anniversary in February last year, and we were all going to Paris uh, for, for the weekend. Uh, it just happened to be France versus Scotland the same day. Yeah, that, was just, that was just coincidence. That, that's masterful planning, that is. <laughs> so just a last question on rugby. Uh, do, do you think um, the Scottish rugby team can do what they should have done two years ago and, and beat Ireland in the Aviva Stadium? Um, I would hope so. Uh, I was actually flicking through Facebook today and, and saw the, uh, the last five minutes of the, of the France-Scotland game from last year when France was just a booted into touch. Uh-huh. I think it could be an interesting game. <laughs> the, the, the usual pint on the winner, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, looking forward to it. OK, Bill, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. Um, just like to wish uh, you a happy... Well, ongoing working life and, 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 and retirement when it, when it comes. And, and well done on your career. Thank you very much, Andrew. And, and, and you. you know, I, I hope to see you in person. Is, is it the 25th of May, isn't it, the, the, the Snug Conference? That's the plan. And actually, I guess it's looking more hopeful now. So, yeah, I'd be yeah. hopeful that will work out. So uh, I think that will make Alex very happy if that works out. Yeah. 
So Bill would still recommend general practice as a great career option and is a great advocate for the positive aspects of the job and the sort of variety and satisfaction it provides. Really interesting too to think about how all the changes that we've seen will continue to pan out against the backdrop of daily life as we learn to live with COVID-19. How we need to keep on talking to each other and not get totally plugged into our machines all the time. I'm sure I have previously mentioned there's a short story by E.M. Forster called The Machine Stops. It was published, would you believe it, in 1909. It's all about how people who are over-reliant in technology end up craving human connection. Now, it only takes a couple of hours to read. It's incredibly relevant to the world we live in today. And I'll put a link to it in the episode notes if you're interested. It is available free. It's great to think about meeting up again in person. And I have to tell you about snug regional meetings. They've been happening online. Now, that's great. But even better, they're also available to re-watch on the Snug website for our members. So another good reason to join Snug. And if you are already a member, there's lots of new, educational, interesting videos covering all the topics that are relevant to GPIT in Scotland. So thanks to the ability to record and share online content, we're now able to offer a vast amount of useful stuff online. I've linked to the regional meetings page. And of course, we're still hoping to have the Members' Day in person at the Westwood Hotel in May 2022. So that's it for this time. Keep on rocking in the free world.